Okay, good morning. We're continuing our uh, study of Emuna, picking up uh, where we left off last week, which is Ale Shor, Ravobiz Ale Shor. We're doing a piece now in Chelek Aleph in the first volume. We're on the 22nd chapter, Bircha Sanenin. We've been going through defining, understanding the words that we recite in every bracha that we say. And of course, all of this is predicated on, as we've been emphasizing for several weeks or months, the idea that we make 100 brachas a day, 100 bids for connection rather than be alienated or lack communication with God, like any relationship, for a relationship to be healthy, there has to be a healthy communication. The way we communicate with God is through making brachos, is a hundred times interrupting our day and feeling His presence, acknowledging His gifts and the blessing. Now today is a hard day to do that. Today is a harder day than usual to do that. Some of us make a lot of brachas on a lot of food throughout the day. (laughs) Brachas before we eat, brachas after we eat. So a fast day becomes a more complicated in order to achieve that, uh, to achieve that goal. So just a, a word before we get back to Revolba, what, what we're trying to accomplish today. Today's a very different fast day than every other fast day on our calendar. Every other fast day on our calendar, from Tisha B'Av and the minor fast days, which all revolve around the notion of destruction, devastation, tragedy, loss, the absence of the Beis HaMikdash, they all have to do with Tshuva. Yom Kippur, of course, is not about the absence of the Beis HaMikdash, but Yom Kippur is the so to say, father of all fast days. Yom Kippur is the model of all fast days. So all fast days, the Rambam writes, are Mabnei Hatzaros. They correspond with tragedy. And the way that we as Jews respond to tragedy is not to look to blame, is not to be angry or resentful, but to turn inward, to try to improve, to try to grow. It's not to blame ourselves either. It's a very important point that when tragedy strikes or when a person is going through a difficult time, we're not God. We don't understand it, nor do we... Do we, are we presumptuous enough to try to explain it or to try to create a direct association? Well, the individual did this and that's why that happened. Or we as a people did this and that's why we suffered. It's a horrible, horrible thing. I think in my opinion it's an act of heresy. A person who tries to compete with God and pretend they are God and they can explain why bad things happen to good people is a heretic. There's only one God. Only God understands how he runs the world and why he does what he does. And much or most of it remains a mystery to us and it's very difficult, it's very difficult. Every now and then there are people who present themselves as rabbis and they will bombastically try to explain this is why these people suffer. This is why this happened like this. It reflects what they did in a past lifetime or reflects their soul or reflects, you know, they did this wrong and therefore they suffered that. And such rabbis are, are, in my opinion, not really representing the Almighty or His vision for this world. We're not supposed to relate to Hashem in a way that we compete with Him, that we pretend we're God. We don't know why people struggle. We don't know why we suffer. But what we do know is that when it happens, we're meant to learn from it and to improve, to grow. We can't necessarily change that reality. We do everything we can to. We daven, we go to a doctor, we do everything we can. We can't change the reality, but we can change how we react to that reality. We can change how we respond responsibility, our ability to respond. We take responsibility, not that we caused it, but we take responsibility in that, what do we do with it now? What do we do with it now? Where do we go with it now? What life do we want to live? How do we grow? What do we learn from it? So all the fast days on our calendar are all about self-reflection, introspection, improvement. We use the opportunity to pause and to say, you know what? Every other day of the year, I indulge in the physical delicacies and pleasures of this world. I pamper my body and I eat indulgent, delicious foods, and I'm, I'm very present in the physical world. These fast days come and they interrupt and they say, you know what? I'm not going to indulge in the physical. I'm going to live a spiritual, I'm going to live a soul existence. I'm going to emphasize my neshama and I'm going to contemplate how I can do more of that, how I can be better. 
how I can operate in the physical world, but really be, have spiritual ambitions and goals and pursuits. So the Ramam characterizes fast days as mipnehatsaros, because of calamity, tragedy that have struck us, that have occurred to us in the past, and that we continue to confront in the present. Two tragic funerals happened in Israel this week. Victims of, of murder, of terror, father of 12, a young woman. There are tragedies that happen still in our time. We react and respond to tragedy, not, God forbid, God forbid, trying to examine what they did wrong, what we did wrong, but trying to say, how will we improve? How will we be stimulated, motivated by this tragedy to be better? So all fast days are Mipnei Hatzaros, with the exception of Tanis Esther, today. Tanis Esther, the Rambam, does not write as Mipnei Hatzaros. Not Mipnei Hatzaros. He says, why is it? He says, Zecher Latanis. We are commemorating a previous fast day. So I don't understand, because they deprived themselves of food, because they were hungry and dehydrated, because they were exhausted and had bad breath, I have to, you're allowed to brush your teeth, but I'm, I have to suffer, I have to suffer today, Zecher Latanis, I have to commemorate, if you tell me I'm fasting because I'm improving, I'm introspecting, it's helping me grow, fine, but I'm fasting just to commemorate what they did then, how does that make any sense, what does the Rambam mean? So to understand it further, the rush, Rabbeinu Asher in his commentary in the Gemara says, how is it that we could fast today? Normally on the eve of a Jewish holiday, you're forbidden to fast. We try to extend our holidays. So on the eve of the holiday and after that, we have the Erev and we have the Isruchag. We have the eve of before and we have the day after. And we say you can't fast and you can't deliver eulogies and you can't be sad the day before or the day after. It's not just the day of the holiday itself, but in anticipation of the holiday and feeling the afterglow of the holiday, we still continue to be excited and joyous and happy. And therefore, you can't be sad on those days. So how can we be sad today? Tonight is Purim. We're going to come together and hear the Megillah tonight. We're going to be dressed up and we're going to be festive and we're going to have a Chagiga. And we're to... So how can we be sad? Why do we have a fast day today? So the Rosh says, again, very incredible. He says, today's not a sad day. Who told you today's a sad day? Tana says there's not a contradiction to Erev Purim. It's entirely consistent with Erev Purim. What, is in the, what did the Rambam mean that we are commemorating a fast? What brought about the miracle so many years ago? Because... We were an Am Mifuzaru Mifurad Amim. We were scattered and spread out across all the nations. It doesn't just mean geographically we were scattered. We remain scattered across the globe today, the Jewish people. Thank God there's Chabad's everywhere you turn. So there's something to eat and a minion to daven with. But we're all over the place. We're all over the globe today. We're Mifuzaru Mifurad. Haman was not leveraging or taking advantage of a geographic description. He understood a spiritual description. We were fragmented and divided. We were judging and debating and, and absolutely... Uh, um, condemning and criticizing one another. Jews were too busy complaining and seeing what's wrong with the other. He saw that we were mifuzaru mifurad, we were scattered, we were divided. We weren't getting along. We were consumed by our differences, not by our commonality. We were looking to feel superior and to judge and to dismiss, not to include and admire and identify what we have in common. And Haman understood that when Jews are divided, that's exactly when we're the most vulnerable. And what was the antidote? What was the response? What did Mordechai understand and instruct Esther? Lech kinos kol Go gather all the Jews. But tzumu alai, and fast for three days. Esther says, tzumu alai, go fast for, for three days for me. So we are fasting today. It's not out of sadness. It's out of joy. That just as we restored a sense of unity so many years ago, by uniting to fast, to daven, and to take control of our own destiny, so too today, today is truly the day on the calendar of Jewish unity. Today is Jewish unity day. It's a day where Jews across the globe are fasting, not 
out of tragedy and not out of self-reflection and not to do repentance and not in sadness. It's not a sober, somber day. Today's a happy day. It's the only happy fast day. It's a happy fast day. Hopefully we'll shed a few pounds and launch that diet we've been, <laughs> launch the diet we've been meaning to start. Although, believe me, by tomorrow you'll be undoing it. Maybe by tonight. Purim. So it's a happy fast day. And the happiness in the fast day is that we are reliving that, that great experience of Jewish unity, of Jewish togetherness. Just as then it changed our destiny, our hope and our prayer is that so too now, that so too today, being united and having a mutual concern for one another can hopefully change our, our destiny. So this is a very different fast day than all the other fast days. The other fast days, you know, we, we turn it down a notch. You don't joke around. You don't necessarily entertain yourself. You don't indulge in the pleasures of this world. We're very focused on what we need to improve and how we can grow, but not today. There's nothing inconsistent or incongruous with getting dressed up in your costume already this afternoon when you're getting ready for Purim tonight. Today is a happy day. It's a happy fast day. It's Zecher Lanes. The Ravid writes, it's a, it's a fast of Simcha. It's a happy fast day. It's not a contradiction. It's a happy fast day because it's through this fast day that we are reliving and reenacting. Not reenacting like, you know, the Renaissance Fair, but reenacting like we are experiencing unity again today. It's hard for us. We have, we have it easier to be Jews than ever. Easier than ever. Kosher food is readily accessible. To keep Shabbos is easier than ever. It is easier than ever in so many ways to be a Jew. And yet, the one thing that we need to do in order to really experience a redemption and a light and to have a bright future is just to get along. You know, it's like a parent who gives their children everything and says, you know, I understand when we were in poverty and struggling and you had to fight over who got the, the piece of bread at the table. I could understand why you didn't get along. But you have everything. The parent says, I'm giving you everything. Each should have your own room, and you each have your own technology, and you each have your own car, and you each have your own. You each have what you need. You have what you want. So you can't get along when you each have everything. So can I know how the Jewish people today have luxuries and benefits, and 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 we have incredible bracha in our lives that our ancestors could have only dreamt of having, including access to Eretz Yisrael and the Kotel and just getting on a plane and being there, and and locally all the kosher options, and you know being able to buy prepackaged, pre-made, everything Jewish that exists, we have it easier than ever. And the technology of doing the dishes and doing the wash and doing the this, and, doing that, and yet we just still can't seem to get along. So today is the day that we pledge to get along. We're not fasting out of sadness, we're fasting out of togetherness. We're fasting out of camaraderie and connection and uniting to be able to change our, to change our destiny. Anyway, so it's hard to get to our hundred brachas today because we're skipping all the food part. Maybe we'll make it up tonight quickly. But when the fast is over. But back to the idea of the Maya Brachos, the hundred brachos that we're reciting every day, and the idea of why we're making a bracha. The blessing we quoted from the Chaim Vital quoted from the Ari, that the way to attain Ruach HaKodesh, the way to attain the highest level of humanity, to be angelic even while we're a human, is to say a hundred brachas a day. Is to a hundred times in our day say, Wow, thank you, God. I don't take anything for granted. Not the air conditioning, not the lights, not my car to get here, not the fact that finally it stopped raining. I don't take anything for granted. What a bracha. That word bracha. That word bracha, as we've said many times, brecha, it's a reservoir of blessing or a brecha, a flow of blessing, that any blessing I have in my life, it all flows, it all originates, it all comes from you, Hashem. That a bracha brings about a flow of divine blessing to the world. Rabbi Nebachia writes, According to Kabbalah, bracha is not only to help a person or a way to express thanks and recognition, but it actually increases the flow. Meaning, when you have a faucet 
there's an entire reservoir of water behind that spigot waiting to come out. But you can't access it till you turn the faucet. So if you're thirsty or you want to make a bath or you want to fill a pot to cook, you can't have the water till you turn the faucet. The bracha is the way we turn that faucet to release that flow. That's why the word bracha, bracha flow. So says the, the Rebbeinu Bachia. It's not that bracha is just saying please or just saying thank you. Bracha is how we increase the flow of blessing in our lives. It is the spigot. It's, it's how we do it. Or the other example that we've given many times recently, I can't give it anymore because just last week, the winner of that billion dollar lottery ticket finally turned in the ticket and collected the money. But as that story has been progressing over the last several months, I keep saying, you know, there's a person who has a billion dollars. Their entire life, their entire family is set for eternity. If they don't mess it up like most lottery winners, but a billion dollars is hard to mess up even. But every generation for the next however many generations is set a billion dollars. But they don't have a penny till their name until they what? Turn on the ticket. They've got the winning ticket. And the winning ticket earns them a billion dollars. They've got their family set forever. And yet, they don't actually have the billion dollars in their account till they turn on the ticket. So the winner of the lottery could have said, what do I have to turn on the ticket? I got the winning numbers, just transfer the money. So what does the lottery say? That's nice, but you need to turn in the ticket in order for us to transfer the money. A bracha is the ticket. We've got the ticket. Hashem has so much blessing in store for us. There's such a bright future. There's such nachas from our children. There's, such, there's so much in store for us. But how we turn in the ticket is the bracha that we recite, is the prayer that we offer. It's how we open the spigot so that the blessing can begin to, can begin to flow. Okay, so we explain what the word baruch, baruch means, ata, that we have this casual, comfortable relationship that we could say to Hashem, you. We could say you. We could feel so close to Hashem that we can say, that we can say you. It's an amazing thing, that level. I find myself talking to Hashem a lot lately, coming out of a difficult meeting or a difficult visit with someone, or sometimes it's to protest Him and say, well, what's your plan? Why, why? Why are you doing this? Can't you change your mind? What can we do to get you to change your mind? Sometimes it's to say thank you. I went into a big uh, talk and I asked you for help and the talk worked out. And I remembered afterwards to say thank you. Shkoyach. Thank you so much for that working out. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'll tell you something personal, very personal, which I hope I'm regretting or sharing. But recently I was having a conversation with Hashem and I found myself for the first time at my advanced age, for the first time in my life, in the conversation telling Hashem how much I love Him. It felt really weird at first. Like I said, the word, I don't know if you remember the first time you said I love you to someone it was new to say I love you to, so it felt a little awkward and you had to grow in comfort with it. But with all the relationship with Hashem, to say the words, I love you. Thank you for everything, whatever it is, gratitude, and I love you. It, it took the relationship to a whole new level. I have a whole new level. I should change my Facebook status. I'm in love with Hashem. I have a whole new, I have a whole new level of a relationship. I'm just sharing that with you because I, it felt, it, it was so incredible. Again, I'm, I'm divulging this not, not to overshare nor to try to impress. I'm just giving my own experience because hopefully you can relate it to yours. But that word ata, the fact that we have an audience with the King of Kings. We have a relationship with Hashem where I could say, I love you. I feel you. I'm so, not I feel you like, I feel you, brother. I feel your presence. I feel your blessing. I feel your goodness. I feel your kindness. And, and you know what? I, I, there's a reason it was the first time I said it. I don't know if I've said it since, but there are moments in our lives where we're overwhelmed with that feeling, and that's the blessing of Ata. It's the blessing of feeling Ata. Wow, you're not just some abstract God. 
you're not distant, you're not theoretical, you're not conceptual, you're not academic. It's not just how philosophers debate evidence of your existence. It's not just that books have fine print about arguing who are you and how you relate to the world, but you're Atta, you're you, you're right here. You're right next to me, you've been with me, you support me, you're connected to me, I lean on you, you're there for me. Atta, you, you, that casual, that comfortable, that incredible connection, that amazing relationship with, with Hashem. So Baruch, we are blessed, Atta, then we have that comfortable, casual relationship with Hashem. And then the word Hashem, which is Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, we explained this last week, which is Adnus, mastery, God was, He is, and He will be, He is, He is absolutely forever. And now we're up to the word Elokeinu. So we're on the first side. We didn't get too far last time. Elokeinu. Elokim, Baal Kol HaKochos. God is the master of all energies, of all strengths, of all, of everything. Mashkiach Aleihem. Mashkiach doesn't mean he, he, you know, checks the lettuce for bugs in the, in the world. Mashkiach means Mashkiach Ruchani. He is, it means providence. Hashkacha, Mashkiach, means that um, the person is not only supervising, they're in charge. They are controlling. So God controls everything. He does with them as he wishes, as he wills. Everything that happens. Gemara tells us, you reach into a pocket for your quarter and you pull out a nickel. You reach in for a nickel, you pull out the nickel. That's Hashem too. There's no coincidences. There's no chance. This is what we're trying to obliterate. This week, we're on the eve of Purim. Tonight, today, the Zechel Anais. We're, the whole battle with Amalek is not just a j- battle with a genetic people. It's not an enemy. True Hamas and Hezbollah are also Amalek. But Amalek is that power, the energy, that force in us that says, eh, coincidence. Mikra, Sherkar Chabaderach, Mikra. Chance, coincidence, it's random. Oh, you, you reached in for a nickel and you pulled out the nickel? Oh, isn't that random? That's so cute. You know, you needed this to work out and it worked out. Oh, so, could you believe randomly who I ran into? Could you believe randomly what happened with X, Y, or Z? That's the voice of a Amalek. And the obligation, the mandate to erase a Amalek is a mandate to erase that voice in our own heads. The voice of cynicism and skepticism. The voice that dismisses everything as just coincidence and randomness. The voice that says nothing is real and nothing is meaningful and nothing is by design. It's all just as by accident. That's the voice of a Amalek. And we all have an Amalek in us. And that's why this time of year we're commanded, remember Amalek means remember that there is that voice in you and then erase it. Normally it's a contradiction. We spoke yesterday in the Parsha class. If you remember, why would you erase? And if you're erasing, then you're not going to succeed in remembering. And yet it says both. Zachor, remember, and erase. The answer is remember we are vulnerable to that voice of cynicism, sarcasm, skepticism. And now go, go, excuse me, and confront that voice and erase it. Don't allow it to have a place when it's going to bring you down and put out your fire and tell you everything's just chance and it's going to make you hopeless and helpless and it's going to have you give up on humanity and give up on God, erase that voice of Amalek. And remember, no, there is a Rebona Shalom. Nothing that happens is by coincidence. Nothing is random. Everything is for a reason. Now, it's easy to, the person who just turned in the ticket and got a billion dollars in their account, it's really easy to remember that. I didn't choose these numbers randomly. God wanted me to be a billionaire. That's easy. What about when you lose the lottery? Meaning you won the lottery to get a rare genetic disease. You won the lottery to be diagnosed with a horrible circumstance. You won the bad lottery of losing all your money. You won the bad lottery of finding yourself in a relationship stuck in a circumstance. What about then? How do you feel then that it's up to Hashem? 
So I always say, I, I don't think it's more comfortable to think it's, is it more comforting to think it's random? It's more comforting to think that there's no reason, that you're just a victim of statistics and data, and it just happened to be. That's more comforting? To think that we have a Father in Heaven who orchestrates everything and we don't see it and we can't understand it as it unfolds. Maybe some days we can understand it backwards and maybe we'll never understand it until we get to the world to come. But the notion that I have faith and I believe and I submit that there is a plan, that there is mastery. Shalit v'shofet, he's the ruler and he's the judge. Elokeinu, anachnu, am Yisrael, zachinu l'ashkocha pratis. We, the Jewish people, have merited not just hashkocha klalis, not just a general providence, we have specific providence. Bikfius, ki amakeinu oso yizborach aleinu. Himlachnu oso yizborach aleinu. We have carnated God our king. We said this morning on a fast day, we recite avinu makeinu. He's our father and he's our king. He's our father and he's our king. So we as parents, everything we do for our children is for their best. They don't understand it. They don't understand why they have to suffer through it. You know, I, I was, I don't want to be guilty of doing the same thing again. But last week I told a story in the Amuna class about how my son had a tooth infection and we davened and he said, I don't hear him. And then he got better. Well, he ended up going to the hospital for a couple of days. He didn't get better. The infection spread and there was a whole issue and he had to go to the hospital. He was in the hospital for a couple of days. He's fine. I probably shouldn't be telling this story now. But he, he's anyway totally fine. So, so you know, we had to take him to the hospital. He had to get an IV put in. He needed an IV antibiotic. The, the infection had spread. So the first nurse came and she tried to put in an IV. Didn't take. He's crying, he's screaming, he doesn't understand. Why would his parents who love him be holding, pinning him down to have some person trying to put a sharp needle in them? Right? How could my parents who love me hold me down and let some enemy pierce me, with a, stab me with a knife? Could we ever imagine that our parent would hold us down while someone stabs us with a knife and they're doing it because they claim to love us? But we understand as parents that, that we were doing that because we love him. Thank God he's back in school, he's healthy, he's happy, and he'll forget that he ever had this episode. Maybe not, but hopefully he'll forget he ever had this, this episode. So the first nurse came and she tried the first time and it didn't work. And she tried the second time and it didn't work. So we got a band-aid over here and a band-aid over here. Then they brought in the great, the expert nurse for the little kids with no veins. And he tried the first time and number three, it didn't work. So now we got a band-aid on the hand. And by this point, and he, he's a smart kid, and he, you said it's going to take one second, you said it'll hurt a little bit, and be like, why are we still doing this? And here his parents are still literally pinning him down, and they're still doing it. So I did a very risky thing. I did a very risky thing. I'm very grateful to Hashem that it worked out. I said, Shai, you know why the first three didn't work? You know what we need to do now that we didn't do the first three? We didn't ask Hashem to help. So Peter, the name of the nurse was Peter, in West Boca. Thank you, Peter. Peter get looked up at me like, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? But I said, Peter, we're going to pray to God right now with Shai. Shai's going to ask his God, Hashem, to help guide your hand and it's going to work this time. Right, Peter? Peter looked at Okay, right. Fine. <laughs> Peter put it in. Boom, right away. The blood came out. It worked. Said, so Peter asked me afterwards, what would you have done if it didn't work? I said, then that would have been the teachable moment to say that we ask Hashem and sometimes he says no. He happened to have said yes. That's really convenient for a six-year-old who were trying to teach that lesson. So it was amazing. So even now we talk about, shall I remember the fourth time it worked? Because we asked Hashem and Hashem guided Peter's hand. Sometimes Hashem says no, but we asked Hashem and he helped us. It was yes. I'm giving you this example, not to elicit your sympathy. He's fine. Baruch Hashem. His mother suffered more than he did. He's fine. But I tell it to you as the example, just we understand as parents that we need to sometimes pin our children down and hold them and let someone stab them because we're really doing it for their good. And what the Rebona Shalom says is, I want you to know that sometimes when you feel like you're being pinned down and I'm letting someone stab you, I want you to believe that I'm doing it because it's for your good. 
Now, Shai Goldberg won't understand how that was for his good for several years. And if we ever mis- bring it up in the future and tell him about that time, maybe or maybe he won't understand why his parents had to hold him down so he could get stabbed with an IV. All, all we thought about that whole time is it was a tiny little nothing episode. Nebuchadnezzar, there are people who have chronically ill children who are in and out of hospitals and going through suffering. And for parents to have to do that, it's, it's unimaginable. Hashem should give them a refu shleimah and should give their parents great strength. I'm giving it to you as an example. It's a mushal. When we feel pinned down, when we feel we're being stabbed, and we wonder, Ribbonu Shalom, Avinu Ma'keru, you're my father, where are you? What are you pinning me down for? Get the person away from me. Don't let them stab me. Don't let them hurt me. Not only are you not blocking them, you're holding me down while they do it. And the Rebbe looks and he says, don't forget, Avinu Ma'keru, I'm your father. I wouldn't do it if it weren't for your good. And maybe it'll take several years for you to look back and understand why it was for your good. Maybe it'll take a whole lifetime. Maybe it'll take an after-lifetime. But it's for your own good. That's what Hashem wants us to believe. That's the notion of Hashgacha Pratis. We coronated him king over us. We appointed him. He's our God. Hashem Elokeinu. He's our God. He's our God. Not just the abstract Hashem. Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is everywhere. He's the Hashem who, Hashem, I need your help. Make this time work. I don't want to go through it again. He creates, he wills everything, and he controls everything. He didn't give it over. He didn't designate it to anyone else. He didn't delegate it to others. Hashem Hashem is the God. He didn't disappear. He didn't create a universe and move on to his next project. And now he just put the world in the hands of nature. He put the world in the hands of angels. He himself continues to directly involve himself in our lives. We didn't drop our son at the hospital and say to the nurses and the doctors, make him better. We're moving on. We got other children to care about. We stayed every moment. And the Ribbon Shalom stays. He didn't create a universe and move on. Hashem hu elokenu. This Hashem, the creator, the master, who has providence of all, who is infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, He is our God. All this is in every bracha that we say. Baruch, you're the source of all blessing. Ata, wow, I have a casual, comfortable relationship. You're so accessible to me. I love you. We're, we're, we're having a loving relationship. Hashem, you were, you are, you always will be. You're Elokeinu. You're not just the Hashem who is this creator. You're also Elokeinu. You're not just out there. You're my God. You're local. You're, I connect with you. You're involved in my life. You know everything going on. Melech HaOlam, you're the king of the whole universe. Melech, you're the king. You're the king. Unbelievable, you're the king. This is what we're doing tonight. When you come to shul and you're going to hear the Megillah, you're going to listen for the word king. The Vilna Gon says, every time the word king appears in the Megillah, it's not talking about Achashverosh. It's talking about God. God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. And our job tonight and tomorrow is even though his name doesn't appear on the black ink, his name is all over the white parchment. In between the lines, God's name is everywhere. And our job is to read in between the lines, not only to listen to the lines. And that's exactly, Purim is that idea that as we live life, you don't see God in the background, but our mission is to see Hashem there anyway. And as I've said a gazillion times, that's why it's called Megillas Esther, which means Megala the Nister. Megillah means to reveal, Esther, Nister is the hidden. Listening to the Megillah is an exercise in revealing that which is hidden. Don't just listen to the story, you could listen to the story and go home tonight and say, huh, what a remarkable string of coincidences. Mordechai happened to be outside the palace and he happened to speak 70 languages, so he was able to turn into two conspirers who were trying to kill the king and it just happened to be the Vashti and Esther happened to be in there and then this happened. There. Wow, what a string of random chance coincidences. Isn't that amazing? 
But that would be a Malik. That would be the voice of a Malik in your head. Instead, you're supposed to come out of listening to the Megillah and say, not only did I listen to the words, I read in between the lines. And every turn that the word Hamelach, the king, appeared, I understood the real king who was pulling the strings. The real king of kings is Hashem. Avilna Gon Megillah has the word Hamelach as the first word of every column. You could write the Megillah so that the column, the layout is different. So Agra Megillah, at the beginning of every column, Rabbi Sugarman lanes out of one of these Megillahs, his Megillah is that, the first word of every column is Hamelach, the king. Because Hashem, you are the king. There's a song like that. Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech, with uh, that rapper Nisim Black. Hashem, you are the king. Hashem, you are the king. You're the king. There's all kinds of dignitaries. You know, some of us are going to go to APAC next week and we are going to spend uh, 13, 14,000 strong trying to lobby the people that we think make the decisions. And in the ink, in the revealed part of the world, they make the decisions. Legislators, who uh, the executive branch, and they will determine the U.S.-Israel relationship and policy vis-a-vis Israel and how much money will be given to Israel. And 14,000 strong, we're going to go clap and applaud and support them and then go to Capitol Hill and lobby them because on the ink part of the Megillah, meaning the revealed part of the Megillah, they're the ones who make the rules. But the truth is, the truth is, Lev Malachim Biyat Hashem, the hearts of kings are in the hands of God. God is the one. The Mel- Hashem, you're the king. They're the kings down here on earth, but you're the king. On the white part of the Megillah. Right? So at APAC, it's the Minyanim at APAC which have the biggest impact. The greatest lobbying we do at APAC is not when we go to Capitol Hill. It's the, there's been an incredible growth in the amount of Minyanim based on who's been attending APAC. But it's the Minyanim. It's the davening that happens to happen at APAC which is the most important lobbying that we do, 14,000 strong. When lobbying, not the king down here, the king's down here, but we're lobbying the king of kings. We're lobbying the Almighty. So, Melech HaOlam, you're the king of the world. So, there's a world. There's a world. It's interesting. What's the word for world in Hebrew? Olam. And the root of the word Olam is Ne'elam. Ayin Lamed Mem means... Hidden. Hidden. The same root, the same word for world is hidden. Because in this world, God is hidden. And the more we study the world, the more hidden he is, or the more revealed he is. But the more you understand biology, chemistry, physics, the more you understand the world, either you see Hashem's hand, or you can believe that there's rules of nature operating, and God is hidden. So the word olam, world, is from the word ne'elam, means he's hidden. He's hidden, but he's in the background. He's in the background of this world. So, ha'olam, the, the world in which you're hidden, you're the melech ha'olam. You're the king of the place that's hidden. You're the melech, you're the king of the olam, of the place in which it feels like you are hidden. Yisrael him bebechinas banam l'ashem. Umelech besoch banav adain lo nikeres malchuso. The Jewish people have the status of Hashem's children. And a king among his children, his kingdom is not perceived. If you grew up in the palace and the king is your father, you don't have context to understand his dominion. So this world, it's really all Hashem. He's planning, he's behind, he's pulling the strings, he's, he's choreographing everything. Borei, now the next word we have. It could be Borei, Mine, Mizonos, 
or it could be Borei Priya Gafen, or Borei Priya Eitz, or Borei Priya Adama. But the next word in most of the Birchas Anenin is the word Borei. Bria Hiyesh Me'ayin. Borei, God, you are the... Now it doesn't say Bara, you created in the past tense. Wow, Baruch, all blessing comes from you. Ata, you, my comfortable, casual God whom I love. Hashem, the master of all, but not just in the abstract, Elokeinu, also my God, I feel your presence in my life. Melech HaOlam, in this world we're operating in, in which you feel so hidden, you're the Melech. In fact, you're the king. Borei, not bara, you created in the past, but borei, you create in the present. Because all of creation is constantly being renewed. Hashem, you are renewing your goodness, you're renewing creation over and over and over and over again. And you built a world that self-renews. The brilliance, the intricacy, the detail. When you eat an apple, it's not just the apple. It's texture, it's moistness, it's juiciness, it's sweetness, and the peel and the flesh of the apple. What's at the core of every apple? Seeds. Millions of more apples are inside that apple. Because if you plant those seeds and they grow trees, you grow apples that have seeds that grow trees, that grow apples... God didn't just create the apple and now you ate it up, you consumed it, it's disposable one time, you're on your own. He created the apple which has the capacity for renewal of creation. He didn't just create human beings and there were two, they enjoyed the world, they died, we moved on. He literally put seed inside, inside them, inside him and the capacity to receive and to, and to uh, fertilize, to be fertilized inside her and there's the capacity for renewal and continuity that's bore. You're not bara. God didn't just create the world. It's not that he set, created the world, set it in motion, and now apples breed apples and people breed people. And As each apple that has seeds, and the seeds in fact take root, and the tree grows, and it's healthy, and it produces good apples that also have seeds, he's bore. He's not bara. He didn't create in the past. He continues to create in the present. Creation and recreation are happening over and over and over again. And says Revoba, Bria Hiyesh Me'ayin. God's creation is something from nothing. This is the ultimate creation. You see, our creation is all something from something. We are kind of counterfeit creators. We do create. We go to Home Depot, we go to Lowe's, we buy materials, we build things. We take paints, we paint things. We take human components, and we put them together to create a new human being. We create, but we have the benefit of starting out with some ingredients, with some materials. The closest that we can come to imitating God with creation is to bring a human being into the world. It's the closest, it's the greatest act of imitating God, is the capacity to bring a human being. But even that, we start out with materials, and it requires the blessing of Hashem for it to happen. We're not in control of it. He's bore, not bara. It's not that He put it in us, and therefore the potential continues. He's Borei. He continues to will to recreate. I said in Siddur Snippets the other day, because we say this, in Bar- we're up to Baruch Sha'amar in Siddur Snippets. If you haven't joined, we have, a WhatsApp, we have WhatsApp groups, six-minute insights into the Siddur every day. So we're up to Baruch Sha'amar. And Baruch Sha'amar is all about, by the way, this Baruch. Baruch Sha'amar, the word Baruch, appears 13 times. The word Baruch appears 13 times, corresponding to the Yid Gimel Midos, that there are 13 ways in which we have a relationship with Hashem is such a blessing for us. That's what Baruch Sha'amar is all about the many ways in which we relate to God, that having that relationship with Him is such a blessing to us. Baruch Sha'amar Vayaulam, He spoke and the world came to be. Oseh Bereshis, He's not Asa, Oseh, He's continuing to recreate. Baruch Hu, Baruch all the Baruch Sha'amar. So He mentioned in there, that Hashem creates Yeshme Ayin, something from nothing. So they tell the joke, they tell a story, 
of the scientist who comes to God and he says, God, we've caught up with you. We can now clone and now we can do IVF and now we can master, we can send rockets to the moon and we've caught up with you. We can control everything. So God says, yeah, you think you're the same as me? Let's have a little competition. So the scientist says, okay, bring it on. We're ready. God says, okay, I created man. Let's see how you do. You create man. Scientist says, no problem. Genetic engineering and cloning and transplants, we can do it. So the scientist uh, says, okay. God says, okay, let's get started. So the scientist bends down and he picks up a scoop of earth in order to fashion a man. And God says, whoa, 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 get your own earth. <laughs> right? So the whole idea is however much we progress and whatever we accomplish, whatever we learn, whatever we do, we are relying and depending on the ingredients that exist, the materials that exist. God had no materials. Yesh me'ayin. We don't even know what that means. There's nothing that we create which is something from nothing. So we can't even identify with or understand what it means to create something from nothing. That's God. Borei. Meshamesh gam loshon avar. He created in the past, but he is recreating in the present over and over and over again. The process of the renewal of creation is happening over and over and over again. So we'll stop here. We'll pick up with this again, Mirza uh, Hashem, next week. But this is the idea. In every bracha, imagine you spent, we were at 37 minutes. So 37 minutes of kavana for every shahakal, you say, for every ashiyatzer, you say. That would not be a very productive day. I'm not suggesting that such a level of kavana is demanded of us. But we say 100 brachas a day with the hope that one of the brachas will actually think about these things. If we say it a hundred times a day, maybe we'll get lucky that one of the times we'll actually think about what we will actually think about what we said. We are so incredibly blessed. The thirteen baruchs of Baruch Sha'amar, the Baruch of Birchas Hananin, what a bracha. So I want to wish everyone a Freilicha, first of all, a very happy fast. Very happy fast. We should feel happy with our sense of unity and togetherness and Jewish Unity Day to change our destiny. And a Freilicha Param tonight and tomorrow. We should be Zucha, we should merit to read the Megillah of Esther and to read the Megillah of the story of our lives and to read between the lines and to see and to feel Hashem's presence, to feel His blessing over and over again.